0: Welcome to What She Said on 105.9 The Region. I'm your host, Candace Sampson. October is here, which means three things. First, it's Breast Cancer Awareness Month. So this month on What She Said, I have interviews to arm you with knowledge that keeps you healthy. Second, Thanksgiving has arrived. And as we all stuff ourselves with turkey, let's remember to take a pause to be thankful. Despite the hardship of the last year, there are always silver linings. Finally, it's my birthday month, and it's always better to give than receive. So jump on over to the What She Said Instagram page to enter a sweet giveaway from Wei Spa and the spa curator. But before you do, stick around for today's show. My first guest is Dr. Paula Gordon from Dense Breasts Canada, who shares details of a new report that provides insight into how outdated and inconsistent breast screening practices across Canada are resulting in confusion over how and when women should get screened, dismissal by women's concerns by healthcare practitioners, and tragic late diagnoses of breast cancer. This week on RBC, she's the boss. I speak with Lee Joseph from Scalwin, an Indigenous skincare brand that honors cultural knowledge, Indigenous plant science, and self-care. Lee combines ancestral traditions with modern beauty rituals, empowering people to connect to themselves and the natural world. Anne Brody has entertainment you don't want to miss this week, including Canadian indigenous filmmaker Denis Goulet's Night Raiders, the Wild West film Old Henry starring Tim Black Nelson, Hulu's delicious Baker's Dozen, and the highly entertaining one-off look at the dozens of bare-faced movie tropes we've endured as a society over the past 100 plus years on Netflix, called Attack of the Hollywood Cliché, hosted by Rob Lowe. This week's explosive news about Facebook and Instagram has us all questioning how much division social media platforms are actually creating in society. Sherry Lynn Starkey from the Being Human is Good for Business podcast joins me specifically to discuss the issue of vaccines, and you may be surprised to hear that she thinks social media is not driving us apart on this issue. Denise Chand and Jennifer John, founders of the Sacred Space Coaching, join me to share a few tips for breaking free of the rut this pandemic has placed many of us in and how to embrace your life to become unstoppable. Finally, Rose Powell from Zealous Baby Care wants to ensure that everyone in the family, from baby to mom, dad, and siblings, are getting the rest they need so they can all be at their best. Rose shares how she helps families achieve that. It's another full week at what she said with interviews that empower, educate, and entertain. So let's jump in right now on 105.9 The Region. by Dense Breasts Canada provides insight into how outdated and inconsistent breast screening practices across Canada are resulting in confusion over how and when women should get screened, dismissal of women's concerns by healthcare practitioners, and tragic late diagnoses of breast cancer. Dense Breasts Canada is a non-profit organization founded in 2016 and is made up of breast cancer survivors and healthcare professionals dedicated to raising awareness about the risks associated with dense breasts and advocating for breast density notification and optimal breast cancer screening. Joining me now to discuss the latest report is Dr. Paula Gordon, one of the world's leading and highly respected experts and advocates for breast cancer screening. Thanks so much for joining me again today, Dr. Gordon. Thank you. It's so good to have you back on the show. I was saying to you before we started recording... Uh, every time I speak with you, I feel like I'm a better person. You're just so informative. Uh, so it's great to have you here. I love being able to share this kind of knowledge with my um, my listeners. And so oddly enough, I'd like to talk about my breasts. <laughs> and only because I just had my first mammogram. I was telling you before the interview that they called me afterwards to tell me that I do indeed have dense breasts. Could you please share with my listeners what you shared with me about that diagnosis in Ontario?
1: Sure. Um, Ontario only notifies women in category D when their breasts are dense. And radiologists divide breast density into four categories, A, B, C, and D. Women in category A, their breasts are almost entirely fat with almost no dense tissue at all. Dense tissue is normal breast tissue, by the way, and it's normal and common to have dense breasts. But about 7 to 10% of women are in category D and That's the category that Ontario Breast Screening Program uh, notifies women that they have dense breasts. And because those women are at a higher risk to get breast cancer, those women get to have a mammogram every year rather than every other year. Now, let's talk about optimal breast screening. Really, we know that starting mammograms at age 40 and having them every year saves the most lives. Ontario starts at 50. So right away, they're not doing the best possible job. 17% of women who get breast cancer are in their forties. They have the highest number of years of life lost to breast cancer because even though breast cancer is less common in younger women, younger women have theoretically more years of life ahead of them to lose. So when a woman gets breast cancer in her forties and it's not found early, uh, that contributes to this highest number of years of life lost. Women in category C, the second highest density category are not told their breast density in Ontario. Uh, I believe all women should know their breast density, even if they're category A, good to know, just like you would hope that most people are told their blood pressure, for example, when they get their blood pressure taken by a healthcare professional. It's a piece of health information that women deserve to know. And the second risk of getting Uh, of having high uh, breast density category C or D is not only are women at a higher risk to get breast cancer, but they're at a risk that their breast cancer will not be seen on their mammogram. Everybody knows mammograms aren't 100% accurate. In women with dense breasts, uh, category D, around 50% of cancers are not seen on the mammogram. And it's a little bit lower than that for category C. So women in category C deserve to know that they have dense breasts. If nothing else, it would encourage them to do breast self-examination periodically so that if they do get a breast cancer, they'll find it before it's, uh, before it's seen on their mammogram in between mammograms. And certainly in the forties, if they're not having mammograms at all, that's the only way they're gonna find their breast cancer. The other way to find breast cancer early in women with dense breasts is by having a supplemental test. And the, the most common one used is ultrasound. Uh, Now that's not available yet in Ontario, but that's one of the things that we're pushing for because breast ultrasound can find cancers that are missed on mammograms in dense breasts. British Columbia uh, started allowing, uh, first of all, they started telling all women their breast density, no matter what their category in 2018 and 2019 screening breast ultrasound started to be covered for all women in category C and D. And in the first year of us doing high volume breast screening, in our practice, we're finding seven cancers per thousand women screened. That's almost twice as many as what was in the literature, the scientific literature leading up to that time. So those are cancers that are small, they're under a centimeter. Those are women who can have a lumpectomy and not need a mastectomy. And um, those are cancers that were missed on their mammogram. So ideally, Ontario, where you are, should start telling all women their breast density and start offering screening breast ultrasound. It varies from province to province, unfortunately, in Canada. Every province does their own thing in terms of what they offer. And there's a brand new website, mybreastscreening.ca, where women can go and see what's available in their province. And if you see that you can't, you aren't told your breast density in your province or you can't have screening ultrasound, or even if your province starts at 50, women can speak up and advocate for better screening. That's how British Columbia got the density notification and the screening ultrasound made available. Patients, women whose cancers were found late because they weren't told their density and they had dense breasts and their cancers were missed on their mammograms. Those women banded together and they started to lobby. And I always say politicians don't listen to doctors they listen to voters. And it was hearing those stories from those women, the women who will tell you their story, they're so brave. And they're generous, because what they're doing is they're putting themselves out there to try to help other women who haven't yet had breast cancer, we need more women to do that advocacy. So Ontario and the other provinces can start doing a better job of screening for breast cancer.
0: I and I also just want to add in here that this is Women, genuinely, you need to educate yourself. You need to go and find this information. Just such an eye opener for me having this conversation with you. Nobody called me and said, You're in D category. They just called me and said, uh, Your mammogram says you have dense breasts and we would like to screen you yearly. That was all the information presented to me. Now, that's very vague, doesn't give me lots of information, and certainly did not make me want to go say, Well, oh, I'll have an ultrasound. Or, or advocate for that because the information was not provided.
1: So we need to get that ourselves, right? You definitely do, especially because this information is not known to a lot of doctors. If you talk to your family doctor, they may not understand the implications of having dense breasts. In fact, in some ways, doctors have been misled. There's a panel called the Canadian Task Force on Preventive Healthcare. We could talk about that for an hour. But they tell doctors that women with dense breasts don't need any special additional screening. In fact, they're the panel that says don't start screening until age 50, even though the people on that panel know that means more women will die. They're saying they discourage screening starting in the 40s. So you may know more about your do- than your doctor about dense breasts. And a place to learn about that is the other website, which is densebreastscanada.ca. And that's two breasts, dense breasts with an S, Canada. So there's lots of information for women to educate themselves.
0: Yeah, and, 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 the, and again, it's just so important to know yourself, and particularly right now with all the healthcare system being under such strain, uh, there is a lot of things falling through the cracks. So you have to advocate and speak up for yourself uh, constantly and be pushing for these tests. Um, I want to be able to direct people to find out more again. So if you could please name those uh, two websites one more time for people and where they can connect with you uh, on social media.
1: So I'm on uh, Twitter at Dr. Paula Gordon, but the two websites, one is mybreastscreening.ca and the other is densebreastscanada.ca. And the survey that you mentioned at the very beginning, just showing uh, the importance of education and awareness, uh, some of the key points, we can't talk about all of them, is that 42% of the women who were surveyed did not know the age that they're eligible for screening in their province. And that's covered on the, the website. Um, a third of respondents didn't feel that the discussions they're having with their healthcare providers about breast screening were adequate for their needs. That's the, you know, women need to educate themselves. It also shows the gap that physicians need to be educated. Um, half of women were not aware, and this is a really important one, Candace, Half over half were not aware that 75% of the women who get breast cancer have no family history. I have women say to me, I don't have to get screened. I don't need to worry about breast cancer because there's no breast cancer in my family. That's so not true. The majority of women who get breast cancer have no family history. And many of the screening programs in Canada stop at age 74. Well, come on, 75 is the new 55. Now we're all taking better care of ourselves. And as long as a woman is in good health, with a life expectancy of about 10 years, she should keep having screening. Most women in Canada should keep having regular screening mammograms at least until age 80. And you may have to advocate that with your family doctor. If the screening program says no, you've got to go to your family doctor and ask for a requisition to get a mammogram in a diagnostic clinic. And that goes for women over 74 in most provinces. And in provinces that don't start screening till 50, Women in their 40s should ask for that requisition and get that mammogram done. And if they have dense breasts, they've got to find out that they've got to have dense breasts and advocate for additional supplemental screening. Now I mentioned ultrasound is the most common. There are other tests. For example, women who are really high risk, the women who have the breast cancer gene, they get annual MRIs in addition to their mammogram. Dense breast is only one of many risk factors uh, that put a woman at higher risk, and women need to educate themselves for that. So, densebreastcanada.ca and mybreastscreening.ca.
0: All right, Dr. Gordon, you're always a wealth of knowledge. Thank you so much for joining me today.
1: Thank you.
2: Have a story for what she said? Email us at 1059theregion.com. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 1059 The Region.
0: As consumers become increasingly wary of potential toxicity in cosmetics, the natural and organic beauty industry is experiencing explosive growth, accounting for over $54 billion in sales annually and growing. Today's RBC She's the Boss segment is spotlighting Squalwin, an Indigenous skincare brand that honors cultural knowledge, Indigenous plant science, and self-care incorporating sustainably harvested and sourced botanicals, founder and ethnobotanist, Lee Joseph, combines ancestral traditions with modern beauty rituals, empowering people to connect to themselves and the natural world. Welcome to what she said, Lee. Thank you so much. I have to ask, what is an ethnobotanist? I've never heard of this before, so maybe you could explain it to everybody.
3: Sure. So an ethnobotanist is somebody who studies an area of research that looks at the cultural interrelationships between people and plants. So it really takes it beyond just the youth or the ways that, you know, plants can kind of benefit us. And it really is looking at the relationship there. I'm, I'm thinking maybe this was sort of a passion through your entire life that you,
0: that you started off early and then went into this field.
3: Yeah, it's interesting as I've, so I'm, I'm pursuing my doctoral studies in the field of ethnobotany. And as I've gone through my academic sort of path with reconnecting to plants and reconnecting to my home territory in Squamish through plant-related knowledge, I've really thought back in terms of where my interest initially came from. And I think even before I realized it, I have just felt the most at home, outside, in amongst plants, and just feeling really grounded in natural spaces. And so as I've learned about this study and sort of gone further down the academic path, um, it's been really powerful for me to partner that with more time spent on the land and really tapping into that, you know, feeling that I realized now I had early on in life. So I think I did know, um, you know, just where my grounding was in terms of being connected to plants and the land earlier than when I started this path of study. What led you to then start squalwing? So uh, in 2018, actually, when I started my doctoral studies, I had been um, engaging in more land based harvesting and time spent with plants throughout the growing season, and I was getting my kids really involved in that and I was so inspired by not only going out and sort of building my relationships with plants, harvesting ingredients and processing them, but then I also had a surplus of some plant ingredients. And so I decided to start creating some formulations to gift within communities that I was working with and also to use with my kids at home. And then that process just really um, inspired me so much that I, I, uh, started the line and started researching skincare and really building formulations around um, culturally important plant ingredients. And that's kind of where it all started.
0: So, how much of the new products that are the products, new or otherwise, that you develop are new formulations or what has been passed down through generations?
3: That's a great question. So, all of the formulations in the iteration that I use them are new. And they are based around um, not anyone's specific knowledge. It's more a general understanding of some of the benefits of some of the key culturally important plant ingredients. So it's really important to me to be very respectful and ethical in terms of how I approach sharing the importance of culturally important plants with a larger audience um, at the same time as really grounding them within my own interpretation of my experience with plants. And so I would say that, you know, my passion and my interest with plants has been influenced by every person in every Indigenous community that I've worked with, but I'm not um, attributing sort of their knowledge to this process. It's really my interpretation of it to to keep it um, grounded in culture, but also very much grounded in my own personal um, experiences. You, your business is growing. I've
0: been, you know, obviously leading up to this interview, I was looking at it, You've, you're gaining a bit of a cult following for your products. Can you tell me what are your most popular ones right now? We have
3: such an incredible community growing around Swalwin, and it's just so uh, wonderful to get all of the emails and read the reviews, and it's really just so rewarding. And some of the top products based on our our sales, but also on our customer feedback are definitely in our rose line. So our rose facial oil, And our rose toner are two very popular products that are just very simple in the formulation, but rose and chamomile together are such soothing ingredients that are tolerated across lots of different skin types. And our cranberry rose cleansing bar is also uh, definitely a fan favorite. People really love how long the bar lasts, how gentle it is and how it really is a wonderful cleanser, but it's not drying or sort of stripping the oils away from your skin. Um, And then our salves are also, that was one of the first products that I made. And a salve is basically um, plant material infused into a carrier oil, and then it has a thickener. So in this case, it's beeswax added to it, and it's used as a balm to promote um, skin healing or to deal with, redness or irritation. And so we have our sore muscle cells and our healing cell, which have both been wildly popular. I really want to try your products. So
0: um, where can I find them? But also where can my listeners find them? Also, I do want to encourage people to go to your website and read your mission statement because it's kind of the antithesis to the typical corporate mission statement. So I really did love that. So please share website, social channels for us.
3: Sure. So you can find our online store on our website, which is just www.squallowen.com. So that's S-K-W-A-L-W-E-N.com. And you can follow us on social media, on our Instagram, which is also Squallowen Botanicals, um, and also on Facebook, it's that Squallowen Botanicals. Uh, we have about 50 um, wholesalers across Canada and so on the, on our webpage we also list where you can find our products and stores. All
0: right, amazing. Thank you so much, Lee, for uh, from Squallin for joining me today. And thank you to our sponsor, RBC. RBC is here to support you through digital-first solutions, advice and services that go beyond banking to help realize your true potential. Because owning a small business takes something special. That's why RBC is behind you every step of the way. Visit rbc.com backslash business.
4: so pretty. Today
0: Fresh off of a mini holiday A well-deserved mini holiday Is Anne Brody Anne,
5: are you rested? Sort of now, now we're in awards season, so.
0: <laughs> well, you, you get a nice little break between TIFF and award season. I
5: do. Uh,
0: I nice. live for
5: it. Thank you. All right. Yeah.
0: Well, we have amazing movies and shows to get to this week. Um, and I think we really need to start off with Night Raiders because um,
5: that one hits home right now. Oh, does it ever? The timing is incredible. Um, so Denis, Dennis Goulet's film is about... Basically, residential schools only modernize to a sort of a dystopian future where the country is completely disabled and and destroyed and being and occupied by by a dictatorial system. They're stealing all the children, taking them to the academy, stripping them of their heritage, whatever it is, whether it's indigenous or you know, Anglo or Chinese, whatever, to make them assets of the government, soldiers and whatnot. Uh, Almaya Tailfeathers stars as Mother Niska. She's been hiding her daughter in the woods for six years, but then drones discover them, military drones. So they have to, they canoe into the city to hide out there. And eventually, um, you know, what would happen happens. The daughter's taken away. And so uh, Niska, the mother, joins a group of indigenous underground vigilantes who are planning to free kids from from the academy. It's an amazing story on so many levels because it calls the, recalls the residential school system. It, it sort of enters into mythology, which is a wonderful thing that you wouldn't expect in a, in a sci-fi thriller like this, that's grounded in, in you know, real, hard facts. Um, It's just wonderful. And it's open uh, this now, and it's opening the imaginative film festival on October 19th. So you get a chance to see it in a couple of different ways. All right. Tell me about old Henry. What a great film. (laughs) Tim Blake Nelson, who's never had a lead in his life and he's been at it for decades, plays old Henry and he's a farmsteader in the grasslands in the States and the Wild West um, at the turn of the last century. And he and his son Wyatt, and that name's important, um, are defending themselves against a posse who, who, who appears armed at their property. A little earlier, Henry had found a soldier who'd fallen seriously injured off a horse and he took him home and a satchel of cash that he found next to him. So this is what these people want. They say they're lawmen. They're not, uh, and, and an incredible battle begins that takes place over a few days. Um, and such a shocking and wonderful, historically upending twist comes at the end. It, it, it's, I, just, I just giggle thinking about it. It's so wonderful. What a great Western, what a great character study, and what a great nod to what might have been. So, so far, we're two for two. I want to see both of those. Two two. Uh, s- tell me about Summertime. Well, we're three for three. <clears throat> this is on Apple TV, and it's based on a, a youth poetry workshop out of L.A. So all these kids are, are writing and performing poetry. So they put them together in a movie. They all are, begin in different places, having expressing different problems, different concerns, different joys, very gender fluid, very inclusive. And towards the end of the film, they gradually come together and they wind up in this stretch limo touring around (laughs) Los Angeles. None of them have been in a limo before, but that's hardly the case. The beauty of this is the poetry. These children are extraordinary. It's so uplifting and the characters are so realistic and there's nothing saccharine or sweet about it, but it's just you feel like you're with them in that limo. Uh, wonderful stuff and a great showcase for these kids' talent. All right. We've got, okay, so first off,
0: everybody should know you have an interview with Ashley Zuckerman up on YouTube, but Lost
5: Symbol is here and ready to watch. Uh, so is that a yay or a nay for us? Well, it's complex. I think it'll appeal to a certain kind of crowd. It's about, you know, Robert Langdon, who st- who is the character in all of um, Dan Brown's Big novels like Da Vinci Code and Angels and Demons. Well, it's his origin story at Harvard University as a symbology uh, professor. So he gets wound up in a scheme to discover a monument, a Mason's monument, somewhere in the capital in Washington that will give him the code to save humanity from invasion. <laughs>
0: Well, I'm not surprised that Robert Langdon would never have a dull moment in his life, Um, which leads me to think it's a bit of a cliche. And quickly, we have about
5: 30 seconds. You think the attack of the Hollywood cliche is a must-see right now? Oh, it's so good. It's on Netflix. Oh, my goodness. Rob Lowe hosts this tongue-in-cheek study of cliches in movies. I was so engaged. I wrote every single one down. And you can find it on my blog. Uh, and it just rips the lid off lazy filmmaking, how things can can become part of the culture. And then you realize, hey, I've seen that 15,000 times before. <laughs> I mean, spit takes, baguette sticking out of a grocery bag, angry desk sweep, cultured vi- uh, villains, kissing in bad weather. It's just hysterical, Candace. You just won't believe it. Highly All recommend right. it. Okay, amazing. So you've got these obviously and a whole bunch more listed on
0: what she said talk.com and we're going to have you back next week. Thanks, and see you then.
2: More with Candace Sampson and what she said coming up on 1059 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 1059 The Region. Let's go, girls. No inhibitions. Make no conditions. Get a little out
0: of line. In light of this week's fallout from whistleblower Francis Haugen, we can no longer deny that social media has created and is now fueling a societal divide. My next guest is an award-winning communications consultant, problem solver, and big-picture thinker. Sherry-Lynn Sturkey has an international reputation as a social media innovator, prolific blogger, podcaster, and much sought-after speaker, and is joining me today to discuss how social media has divided us specifically on the issue of vaccines. Welcome to the show, Sherry-Lynn. Hey, hi, thanks for having me. This news that came out about you know Facebook and Instagram was, was monumental. It was huge news. Everybody's talking about it. But it's something we all know really has been happening for a long time. Particularly, we've watched it unfold with vaccines over the last 18 months.
6: Yeah, that's for sure. Well, we've had serious concerns with how social media um, presents information, how people use social media to share information, um, you know, really since its inception. But I mean, when people really started taking notice of that was in 20, um, 2016, uh, following the Brexit vote and, and the American uh, election in 2016, where people just really started to realize the profound effect that uh, social media intercourse was having on on life and society in general so i mean i mean the question is is it is
0: it dividing us on vaccines i mean that's a yes or no question really
6: well i say no it is not dividing oh, interesting. us interesting yeah i we are divided on vaccines we absolutely are we're not we're divided on covid Generally and on vaccines specifically, division in uh society is is kind of normal and, and it would exist even if social media didn't exist. It's just that people are going to social media to share. People, you know, it is social. That's where people go to be social. That's where do they go to talk to their friends and to share their opinions and to talk about issues of the day. So we're seeing the division play out on social media. Now, where it starts to cause. A division is where we, uh, due to the the algorithms of social media, where we tend to start just seeing reflections of our own ideas, and uh, we're not seeing uh, uh, other important information. In this context, it would be uh, if I w- was questioning the validity of uh, of a vaccine or the government's power to force me to have one and all I could see in my social circles were people that agree with me and I never get a chance to see the real science and I don't really get a chance to see dissenting opinion. That's where we can see that social media is kind of laying into this problem and exasperating a difference. You've really brought up an interesting point. Um,
0: My partner and I have had a discussion about this recently and if you disagree in any way, shape, or form with what's happening on the side of vaccines, you get lumped in with the people wearing tinfoil on their head. And, uh, you know, you're immediately dismissed. Your concerns are thrown out uh, because you're just, you are either for or against. There's no room, it seems to have discussion or debate anymore about
6: this. Do you find that's true? Yes, but that's more a function of the humanity than it is the technology um interesting shakespeare talked about the uh the rule of the mob in uh in his play hamlet you know you blocks you stones you worse than senseless things that was back in the 1600s so yeah that is one of the issues around social media is mob rule what do you what are your thoughts
0: then on celebrities who enter the discussion on this on social media
6: yeah, this is a really interesting issue because we've had a number of, of celebrities come into the fray on this, both pro and against the vaccine. You know, Nicki Minaj a couple of weeks ago caught it a furo- caused a fury with her tweet about you know some third party some distant relation or something had told her something she tweeted it out, you know, not giving much mind to the fact that she's followed by millions and millions of people and that she might actually be influencing uh, their decisions. And then of course, um, the scientists and the politicians and the doctors came out whole scale very quickly to dispute the facts that you know that she had put forward. But what was the sad thing about that was it was a lot of energy really a lot of energy of very busy people were put towards trying to make that right when they could have been spending their time and energy in other places. We have uh, the chef, Pete Evans, who is a huge television celebrity. He's from Australia, but he has a big global following and he's very, very big in, uh, in the UK as well. Well, his, his anti-vax views is it's ruined his career, right? He's thrown off TV He's thrown off social media, he's been taken away, uh, he's had his accounts um, shut down, he's had all his content deleted, and we've had some supermodels and a lot of other celebrities that have come out, as you were saying earlier, maybe just saying, hey, why I should be forced to do this, so, you know, does the government have the uh, authority to force me to do this? And you know, I, I think it's, it's okay to, to dissent, to have a, a different opinion. But, you know, with mob rule, they are getting shouted down. And on the other side of it, we're having some, some celebrities coming forward that are pro, like with Dolly Parton, Chris Rock, the Dalai Lama, Martha Stewart, Ian McClellan. Like hundreds, maybe thousands of celebrities posted photographs of themselves having their vaccine in order to be to encourage their followers to to follow suit and do the same. And this is where, you know, the the term
0: influencer comes in for sure, right? Because we follow these people and we are influenced by their opinions. What do you think, I mean, in light of Francis Hogan's mind-blowing revelations, uh, you know, do you think that the giants are really trying to battle misinformation or are they just shutting down dissenting opinions now because, you know, one side is louder than the
6: other? Oh, this is a case of the genie in the bottle. The genie's out of the bottle, and they don't know how to put it back in, right? I mean, Zuckerberg, for a number of years from the inception of Facebook, always said we are a technology company, we are not a media company, and we're not responsible for the uh, the information that's shared on our platform. And and the other social media platforms were also in the same vein. But of course, they. Come 2016, everything changed. and they started stepping up, and taking responsibility, trying to control misinformation, trying to uh, stamp out fake news on their on their platforms. And and they they've brought in a lot of work. Like they've done a lot of work in this, but they're the, none of it's working. <laughs> they, they don't really know how to stamp it out without ruining what social media is and without turning it into something that looks a lot more like mainstream media with editors and, you know, that kind of less participation by the masses. So they're, they're trying to figure it out themselves on the fly, but they've brought in these things like, you know, any, any content that uses the word COVID or vaccine is flagged with a message that says, mm-hmm. make sure you check a credible source on this. They've taken down millions of posts. They've blocked and banned hundreds of thousands of people, celebrities included, <laughs> influencers included that are spreading misinformation. And I think that we should kind of ask ourselves like, okay, they're doing this now around vaccine stuff, but you know, when, when we step through that door and we give them this power to censor whole swath conversation, what what does that hold for the future for us? We don't know what the future holds. <laughs> And
0: it's interesting, you know, you talk about the masses, you know, you and I, and we're all part of the masses. And I think about my social media feed, I'm absolutely in an echo chamber. I'm not interested. You know, I, I filter out people who irritate me with, with some of their opinions. (laughs) It's my play. It's my sandbox, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, how are we maybe doing more harm to ourselves than good at this point? Well,
6: you say that you do that, but you know, most people don't, most people almost feel victimized by social media because they don't really understand. Like it's becoming a very complicated tool to use. And it's certainly when it comes to protecting your own privacy and your own feeds, it's, you know, you have to jump through a lot of hoops to control your social media, but the the controls are there. So, if you see something that you don't like or something you don't agree with, you can block it. You can unfollow. You can go and follow other people that have the uh, you know a like opinion or, or someone whose um, um, expertise you admire and you want to hear their news and information. So you have a lot of control about how you use social media and and who's in your, your community and who you're going to see in your feeds. A lot of people don't know that though. And that's that's where you get all this kind of outrage where people are like, somebody said something wrong on the internet and I'm going to correct them.
0: Yeah, well, it's a great point. And this is a conversation I think that has to be ongoing. Um, so I want to encourage people to go follow you, obviously listen to your podcast because you talk about this all the time. Um, I follow you religiously. So uh, can you please let people know uh, where they can find you?
6: Well, if you just Google Sherry Lynn, I'm S-H-E-R-R-I-L-Y-N-N-E, you're going to find me on social. Um, My podcast, however, might be a little bit more difficult to find. It's called Being Human is Good for Business, and it's uh, I get to sit down and chat with three leadership um, experts uh, a couple of times a month and talk about really cool uh, things for people that are in business. And so uh, check out the Being Human is Good for Business Leadership podcast. And you can find that wherever you subscribe to most of your podcasts.
0: All right. Incredible. Thank you so much for joining me today, Sherilyn.
6: Thanks for having me on the show. Can you feel-
0: Some of us, present company included, fell into a rut during this pandemic and are having a hard time finding our way out. First... What she said is a judgment-free zone, so you're safe here. Second, help has arrived. Denise Chand and Jennifer John are certified cognitive behavioral and relationship coaches, unstuck experts, authors, and founders of the Sacred Space Coaching, helping women across North America make empowering shifts to get unstuck in life and relationships, they are joining me now to share a few tips for breaking free of the rut and embracing your life to become unstoppable. Welcome to what she said, Denise and Jennifer. It's great to have you here. And I really want to start with sort of your first point as about um, self-worth. Why is that concept so important in
7: this journey? You know, Candice, I think it's, it's something that we, we don't really connect to our journey in life and how important self-worth is because when our self-worth is high, when we give true value to who we are, it it helps us to make better decisions, better choices, even choices in a mate, in a partner. um, It it sort of like guides us as a compass because the higher our self-worth is the higher our self-esteem is and how we feel it how we view ourselves it's so important because if we're not viewing ourselves in the right light what tends to happen is that we make choices from that place and that the choices that we make may not be serving us in the best way or in the best light
0: so there does have to be a certain sense of uh, self-assessment going on but if, to, to create this new life. Right. And I think some of that probably has to do with the baggage we carry uh, through our lives. You know, there's a lot of hurt that goes along with this. So how do those healing that past, how does that make us stronger?
4: Well, first of all, like when we carry, you know, it's, the healing of past pain it, it is hard and if we don't deal with it, it 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 keeps growing and it grows and it grows and it grows and it keep, and it goes forward so we have to first understand how the mind works so the mind um our thoughts and opinion they they shape um, our feelings and reaction to a situation. They influence our our in everything we do with respect to our other person or our situation. So it's really important that we we deal with the past hurts, we deal with the disappointments, we deal with that because what happens, it hinders each step we make, it hinders our decision, even getting into a relationship, because we carry the baggage. And you know what? The best weight to lose and the healthiest weight to lose is the baggage from the past is all those weight from the past to hurt everything so it's very important because it keeps us not even mentally healthy, but physically as well too, and it allows us to make sound decisions moving forward. We talk about this concept a lot on what she said, you know, about letting
0: the past go and growing Mm -hmm. and being a better person. Mm -hmm. And I I just know, I know what people are thinking. They're saying, this is so much easier said than done, (laughs) which I guess is where you come in, in the coaching. Mm -hmm. And so how do you help people embrace, I guess, their happiness within to go forth and embrace their happiness with others?
7: You know, the thing is, is that, First, got to be happy with ourselves. And one of the things we do in, in our coaching is act, is becoming more self-aware, doing that self-assessment, stepping back and literally looking at our lives in a, in a sense of what's been happening, what has been serving us well and what hasn't, what has been truly bringing us that happiness that we need and what we truly desire. Um, and once we get to that place where we can look at it objectively and take some steps back and we sort of realize, you know. This wasn't working. Well, why isn't that not working? What what was contributing to that? What was, what were we doing or not doing? Or what do we need to open ourselves up to, to experience more of the happiness that we need? Some of us tend to, to look for happiness in other people. And other people cannot make us completely and totally happiness. They're not responsible for it. And so sometimes in relationships, we look to our partner to be that happiness for us and to make us happy. And without looking at, you know, it's, there's a joy and happiness that comes with having a partner, um, and it should add to your own happiness, to that own sense of fulfillment. And we, we see that a lot with the clients that we service, a lot of the clients that we coach. And it, it's when they come to that place of really honing in on their own happiness, that's when they're free. That's when they start to experience going from being stuck to unstoppable, because then they tend to want to protect that happiness. And they look to make better choices in the relationships that they foster, in the people that they allow into their space so that they can enjoy more of their own happiness.
0: And I imagine it becomes a little bit like a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? You know, Mm -hmm. if you're happy, Mm -hmm. it just begets more happiness and it passes on to people in your life, right? So you guys are coaches. You help people a lot. Mm -hmm. There's no way in six minutes we're going to get to all of this. (laughs) (laughs) It's such a deep, deep subject. I want people to be able to find you because I know a lot of people through this pandemic are really feeling stuck. So where can they find you?
7: They can go to our website. At the hash, sorry, the hyphen sacred dot com backslash get unstuck. Um, they can follow Denise on Instagram at Denise Chand underscore CLC or myself, Jennifer John underscore CLC. All of our information, the programs that we have, group coaching, individual coaching, it's all there. And they can contact us on, on Instagram, DM us. We do respond to our DMs. Um, we're very active on Instagram. And so they can reach out anytime.
0: All right. Amazing. Thank you so much for joining me today. So, ladies, this was, this was wonderful. Thank Thanks
7: you. For Candice. Us, Candice. We
4: appreciate you. it. Oh,
2: Stick around more what she said with Candace Sampson coming up on 1059, the region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 1059 The Region.
0: The biggest wake up call new parents get is, ironically enough, delivered through lack of sleep. My next guest wants to ensure that everyone in the family, from baby to mom, dad, and siblings, are getting the rest they need so they are all at their best. Rose Powell is a highly specialized and trained care provider of newborn babies in the parents' home and the founder of Zealous Baby Care. She joins me today to share why it's so important to establish proper sleep patterns for everyone when new baby comes home. Welcome to the show, Rose. Good morning, and thank you. Thank you for having me. Let's talk about caring for a baby because, you know, um, I remember when my daughters came home, it, it is really overwhelming. And everybody tells you about the importance of sleep, but I don't think we really fully understand how hard that's going to be to establish.
8: It is really one of those things that you need to experience it. Not to undermine what someone else has tell you. Tell you, you know how they say when somebody tells you something, take with a grain of salt. This is one of those things. Take a teaspoon of salt. You really do need to know that sleep is a big factor. And it is a big factor both for the baby and for the mom. For the baby, it's the brain development. It, It directs a lot of things, how they eat, how they interact with you, how they develop. So the sleep is extremely important. And of course, for that mom who comes home And um, after, especially if she's been through a hard delivery, she needs to look after her baby. How do you do that when you're overtired? If there's other children, how do you um, go through that? Looking after the older siblings plus the new baby and of course your spouse. So sleep is significantly important. So how we come in is that parents brings us in and sometimes it's a gift from the husband to the wife. We come in at night and we look after that baby during the night. Everything if that mom is breastfeeding, the only thing we don't do is breastfeed the baby. But if that mom is not breastfeeding, we're doing everything. If the mom is breastfeeding, we bring the baby to the mom. The mom feeds the baby. We burn, we change the diaper. We soothe the baby, give the baby back to the mom so the mom can have, feed the baby again. And we do all of the little things that she doesn't have to get up for. And she can go back to rest, to bed and get the rest she needed. She needed to recuperate for herself and for her to look after her baby and enjoy the process. For too many people, that first couple of weeks is a blur. And why? Because they were overtired. They didn't get the rest they need. They couldn't focus on what's happening around them. It was diaper bottle, this, that. You couldn't do it. With our help, we're that extra pair of hands and that calm that helps you to say, you're doing well, you're doing fine. Take a minute, take a shower, have a coffee. There's so many things that we do. Have a moment with your husband. Read a book that you normally would have read to your child going to bed. That older siblings, you can still continue that routine and pattern because you'll know hand the baby off to another person. So that's how we come in and make it easier for both the mom, the siblings, and the the, um, spouse.
0: Right, so that that transition period is that That I mean, I'm, again, thinking back, I think about it, it was such a blow and a blur, uh, you know, uh, when I brought my my child home and I wore that fatigue like a badge of honor. And I think back and I think that was so wrong because that lack of sleep really affected how I was functioning and interacting.
8: Yes. And you, and so, you know, in those moments when it should have been so very, very precious for you to have those memories, it's a blur. Why? Because you're overtired. And the other thing about the sleep is the sleep for the baby, getting that baby on a proper sleep routine. If we have the baby from the first day, once you come home and we're working with that baby, it is natural. You cannot put a baby, a newborn baby immediately on a sleep pattern, but just cues that we are very experienced and knowledgeable on, we pick up on that we know when, okay, that baby needs to go down before that baby's overtired. And we are able to structure it in a way that by the time that baby reaches six weeks or two months, that baby's sleeping through the night properly and during the day getting proper naps. So that guess what that does for you as a, as a parent also? It helps you to structure your time. It helps you to get that rest to know that, you know what, my baby's gonna sleep between nine and 9.30 or between nine and 10.30. During that time when my baby's sleeping, I can do my email. I can catch up on um, the friends. I can catch up on work that may need to be done. I can spend this much time for my other siblings. There's so much when you know that this is structured in a way that makes it easier for you to do your day and also, you know, your baby is growing proper t- properly.
0: This feels like the perfect thing to actually gift a new mom. This sounds actually like the perfect gift that will give for years to come. Really, when oh, you yes. establish those sleep routines,
8: you think about it. Diamonds are beautiful, and this is diamonds are forever. But I'll tell you this in that tired moment, when that baby's crying and fussing, and you don't know how to soothe that baby, or you're too tired and frustrated yourself to understand that you just need, you know, the baby just need you to be calm, and they're feeding away from your anxiety. Believe me, that diamond doesn't mean much of anything in that moment. Yeah,
0: Yeah, this is really a great gift to give to somebody or a gift to give to yourself. Uh, You know, oh, yes. I, I'm thinking about it, I literally have tears in my eyes thinking about <laughs> how hard those first few months. So as a new mom, I think this is just a Great, great concept and idea uh to, to hop on to. So if people want to find out more, reach out to you, follow you on social media, where can they
8: do that? Zealousbabycare.com. You can okay. know, the contact information is there. You can email me, you can call zealousbabycare.com anytime, 24 hours a day. You send an email or you leave a message, we will be back in touch. We're happy to help you. We come All right, to amazing wherever you are.
0: All right, wonderful. Thank you so much, Rose. Thank you. That's it for What She Said for this week. Stay up to date with our newsletter by signing up at whatshesaidtalk.com. And be sure to follow on social at What She Said Talk on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for videos of these interviews and more. Finally, be sure to subscribe to What She Said with Candace Sampson on Apple and Spotify to re-listen to this episode and find full details for all of today's guests. I'll be back next week with more What She Said on 105.9 The Regent.